Is, isn't that the kind of the theme of this movie is unnecessary, though? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. What's but a smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me! Listen to you by what right? Because I have a right to be and I have a voice! Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. All right, so it's time for another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. This week, we're taking a look at 2013's Evil Dead, and uh, to pair with that, we're talking about acute withdrawal from drugs. So lots of really happy topics. Uh, So to talk about those things, we're bringing back a return guest, uh, someone who was sure he would not be back until 2017. And that's the way to get back on. It's just to like that little stab of guilt. uh, And I'll be like, okay, come back on, Chris. I I feel bad. (laughs) In no way was that some sort of a guilt trip. That was simply like, I understand. There's only so much of me I can handle. So I don't expect anybody else outside of my family to invite me back in more than once a year. But also beyond that, uh, as I recall, when following films first started and when you first like were on War Machine versus Warhorse, you were writing mostly about horror movies. So I thought this is a pretty good tie in for you. I mean, I'm definitely a big horror film guy. I, I like horror films a lot. And uh, I think that's how Mike found me with some of the stuff. I wasn't writing primarily about horror films, mm. but there was something I wrote about this movie Ravenous from right. a couple of years back. Um, he and he was wondering, you know, I guess if this guy's writing about horror movies from you know 15 years ago that nobody saw, then <laughs> that's the guy for me. The <laughs> so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of following films, did you want to uh, give out the the Twitter handle or anything like that? Sure, yeah, it's uh, following uh, underscore films on Twitter and uh, followingfilms.com. Yeah, and actually, you know, Chris hates it. Uh, hates like talking himself up but i i really like uh the following films podcast it doesn't it's not one of those shows that comes out like weekly or even necessarily monthly but when you happen to get an interview with a filmmaker i'm always really interested and entertained so i think people should just keep that in their queue and whenever it pops up it's like a happy surprise so thank you i mean it used to be something that i did every week and sometimes uh, twice a week i was getting interviews but it just got to a point where I really, uh, it was taking too much time to right. chase down interviews and do all that kind of stuff. Um, there's one that I'm going to be editing tomorrow, and I'm not editing it right now, so I can talk to you about it. And it's a uh, good call. Guy who did a, yeah, <laughs> it's a guy who did a documentary on. Uh, it's called Glory Days about uh, Michael Alec, the guy who Party Monster was based on. So, oh right, so it was nice. a good interview. I like that one quite a bit. So nice. Look for that. All right. Okay, um, so before I get into the psychological aspect, would you like to give us a couple movie recommendations based on uh, Evil Dead or the theme of acute withdrawal? Um, yeah, I kind of I, when I first started thinking about recommendations on it, I was thinking about kind of the obvious withdrawal, kind of drug addict movies, kind of I'm a child of the '90s, kind of when I came up watching uh, films when I first started, you know, falling in love with movies, and so I thought of things like Train Spotting, Bad Lieutenant. Right. Uh, you know, drugstore cowboy. And then when I really started thinking about it, something that kind of paired up with it a little bit better um, was something that I think people kind of miss the. Okay, there's something like Evil Dead, the one that we're going to watch, that we're talking about tonight, 
Um, the subtext is really, there's no sub to it. It's just text to the movie. It's really <laughs> clear what they're talking about. Yes. Um, but something like Drag Me to Hell, I think people kind of miss the underlying story there. And I think that's, you know, with the Sam Raimi tie-in is one that is good right. to go in and watch where I think that one's a film that's really about eating disorders. And right. so that's a really one that you can watch on multiple levels and not necessarily have that one hit you over the head. With right. the um, so I really dig that one. Um, then there's one from uh, the late 60s called With Nail and I. I'm not sure if you've seen that or not. No, no. Uh, old English movie, a uh, couple drunks, poor uh, working class actors living in a flat. And it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's on Netflix right now. So nice. Um, yeah, real funny, good movie. So Nice. I actually haven't seen either of those. So now I have. Oh. So, yeah, Drag Me to Hell is one of those that it's like unbelievable that I didn't see it. Like there's always those movies that feel like when people ask, have you seen this? You're like, yeah well wait no i somehow missed that like no so that's one that's kind of been on my list to watch you know since it came out and just haven't quite gotten around to it but um so but you normally watch these movies twice before we do the podcast did you watch evil dead 2013 twice before doing this <laughs> no okay <laughs> i think <laughs> once if, if once was enough twice and you haven't seen drag me to hell then you know shame on you sir <laughs> All right, uh, so we're going to take a little break, and then I'll talk about Acute Withdrawal, and then we'll bring Chris back on to talk about Evil Dead. Okay, so today in the psychology section, we're going to be talking about Acute Withdrawal. Um, So, of course, this is about drug use and drug abuse. And in particular, as we go through, we'll focus on opioid withdrawal because that is what our character in the movie evil dead is withdrawing from is some sort of opioid most likely heroin so withdrawal any withdrawal syndrome also is called a discontinuation syndrome and it's a set of symptoms that occur when you discontinue use or you reduce dosage of some types of medications or drugs now the risk of of getting the syndrome tends to increase with dosage and length of use. So the more you use it and the longer you use it, the more likely that you're going to withdraw. And there's a bunch of different types of withdrawal. There's alcohol withdrawal, which is actually really, really dangerous, which Chris and I will talk about later in the episode. Uh, antidepressant discontinuation syndrome, uh, anti- antipsychotics, which is usually given to people who have diagnoses of psychotic disorders like schizophrenia. Also, benzodiazepine withdrawal, which can be really brutal, cannabis withdrawal, uh, neonatal withdrawal, um, which is something that infants get after they're removed from drugs that they've been exposed to prenatally, uh, nicotine withdrawal, which is actually really rough to go through, and opioid withdrawal, which uh, are seen when you uh, stop using or you reduce the amount of the opioids you're using. So these are all all drugs that can give you physical dependence, which is the really important part, which is why you're getting these physical symptoms when you remove them. Uh, There's also something called rebound syndrome or rebound effect. So lots of different drugs, while not causing a true physical dependence, can still cause withdrawal symptoms or rebound effects during dosage reduction or abrupt withdrawal. This includes caffeine, stimulants, steroids, uh, and drugs that help fight uh, Parkinson's disease. Now, it's debated if the entire antipsychotic drug class can cause true physical dependency, or if only a subset does. But all of them, if you discontinue them too rapidly, can cause what's called an acute withdrawal syndrome. When we talk about illicit drugs rebound withdrawal, especially with stimulants, we refer to it as coming down or crashing, which is a much kind of softer version of 
withdrawal than you than you have with stronger drugs like opioids. Some drugs like anticonvulsants and antidepressants will describe the actual drug category, not the mechanism that's going on. So the individual agents and drug classes inside of these, like the anticonvulsants, will act on many different receptors, and it's not really possible to figure out their potential for physical dependence just based on the name. So anticonvulsants as a group are known to cause tolerance to an anti-seizure effects. SSRI drugs, which are antidepressants, will give a discontinuation syndrome that manifests with physical side effects. Okay, so let's talk about opioid uh, disorder a little bit, uh, the withdrawal of that specifically. So there's a lot of them, and this isn't even all of them. So when you first withdraw from the drug, you'll have an altered perception of temperature. So you have hot and cold flashes. You'll be really agitated, really anxious. You'll have a change in libido, either really high or really low. You'll feel fatigued, like your muscles will ache. You'll get dehydrated. Uh, you'll feel confused. You'll cry a lot. You won't be able to sleep. Uh, you'll have a running nose. You'll sweat. You'll yawn. You'll feel like your skin is crawling. And this is like, I actually work with people who have experienced this because I work in addiction right now. And I've heard these stories and they're really brutal to hear the details. And the later symptoms, you get abdominal cramping, sneezing, diarrhea, dilated pupils, goosebumps, nausea, and vomiting. And it just feels like it will never, ever end. And it just, from what I've heard from my clients, they just say it's like the worst thing they've ever experienced. And lots of people will start to go through withdrawal and then use again because these symptoms are so bad. But the really good thing about the symptoms of withdrawal is they do go away relatively quickly. It doesn't feel like it, but they do go away, you know, over the course of a couple days. Now, after that, there's something called post-acute withdrawal sy syndrome, uh, which people very cutely call PAUSE. Um, so basically, it's a bunch of impairments that happen right after withdrawal from alcohol or other substances. And the worst part about this syndrome is that it can last anywhere from six months to 18 months. And that's as long as the person stays sober and does not use again. And the, the effects are fluctuating. They do tend to improve. Things tend to get better. But it's not it's not a straight line, right? So you get like some days are worse than others. And on those days, you're much more likely to use. And it has uh, basically it affects three areas of the individual. First, cognitive. Uh, you can get like racing thoughts. And that can be really distracting. Your thoughts can be really scattered and lack coherence. And others have noticed like this very rigid order of thinking and lack of flexibility. And in connection with this, abstract and conceptual thought is really highly impacted. Cause and effect reasoning suffers as well in these early stages. Also maybe impaired is concentration and attention span, so you get really confused. The second area is emotional. So it can either cause a dearth or an excess of emotion. So either a little bit of emotion, like really, really gets less, or you get, you have all the emotions at once. So the person can be hyper-reactive emotionally. So not only will you have more of the emotion, but you're going to react stronger to it. So if somebody pisses you off, you're going to be extra angry. If something bad happens, you're going to be extra sad, but also you're going to be extra happy if something good happens. So this could be really dangerous uh, in early recovery because when you have these high emotions, these can be triggers to use again. Emotion that comes through strongly during this period of time usually is shame and regret over kind of the emotional baggage that has kind of built up over this time of use because you can ignore it when you're using and now everything is kind of 
everything is coming back to you as like the things you've you've screwed up as far as relationships, as far as jobs, all these things. So shame is a really, really big deal. And some individuals get this numbing of emotion, and that will actually impair proper emotional bonding with friends and family during this process, which is really important because you do need that support. And the last area is, I mean, it's also kind of cognitive, but it's memory. Um, but it's, it's separate because it's the most noted problem for people in post-acute withdrawal. So recently learned information, like within the last half hour, can be quickly forgotten. Uh, new skills or routines can be learned and then not taken in. So uh, you might learn something and then you have to be reminded over and over and over again. Information can be retained for a short time, like days or weeks, and then it's lost, requiring the individual to learn it all over again, which gets really, really frustrating, both for the person learning and for the person teaching. And in some extreme cases, the individual discovers that even like developmental and childhood memories are totally absent or only remembered in this really kind of spotty way where like, I kind of remember who I was, I kind of remember who was there, but it's not clear. Um, so all these issues really do affect the person. And one of the things we teach where I work is this idea that, yeah, pause is awful. It's a brutal and just about everybody experiences is it, but eventually it does go away and things do tend to get better. So they've kind of got that going for them. All right. So a little bit more about opioids, opioid, opioid withdrawal and treatment. So in 2014, they did a study and they found that just in the United States, about 435,000 people used heroin. So that's just one opioid. That's a lot of people. And that's not even taking in people who are taking uh, Vicodin or Demerol or Dilaudid. There's, there's a lot of different ones. So big, big numbers. So those numbers kind of add up to 4.3 million people per year. They're non-medical users of narcotic pain relievers. So that includes people who have been prescribed Vicodin, but then take more than they should. So these pain relievers include codeine, heroin, Vicodin, Dilaudid, Methadone, Demerol, Morphine, and uh, Percocet and Oxycontin. So these drugs, of course, as we mentioned, cause a lot of physical dependence. So not only will you get this physical withdrawal, but even just taking the drug over time, you're going to need to take more to get the same effect. So that's just called tolerance. So if you go into your doctor uh, and talk about it, they'll give you urine or blood tests to confirm opiate use. And they may give you other tests just to make sure, like blood chemistry tests and liver function tests, plus a CBC, which is a complete blood count, which will measure your red and white blood cells, and platelets, which will help your blood to clot. They'll give you a chest x-ray and an EKG, and then most likely test you for hepatitis C, HIV, and tuberculosis, as many people who abuse opiates also have these diseases, especially those who are injecting the drug into their veins. So in terms of treatments, kind of talks about here the withdrawal from these drugs on your own is really hard and actually can be really dangerous. So we'll see later in this movie that there's there's one of the characters talks about, you know, you're getting all the care here you would in a hospital. Not necessarily true. So most treatment will involve medication, counseling, and support. Withdrawal can take place in a number of settings. You can do it at home using medicine and a really strong support system, which I don't think the character in our movie has. They might think that they're a strong support system, but they find out very quickly they're not. Uh, but this method is particularly difficult, and withdrawal should be done really, really slowly. So it should not just be 
cold turkey, which is, of course, what they do in the movie. The other option is using facilities set up to help people with de- with detoxification. There's actually sites where you can go that are purely for detox. You go in there for a day or two, and then you leave or you go to treatment elsewhere afterwards. Or if the symptoms are really severe, you should actually go to a hospital so you can be watched during this process and licensed professionals can actually help you. So speaking of those medicines, there's a bunch of different options. Uh, methadone uh, will relieve withdrawal symptoms and help with detox. And it's also used as long-term maintenance for opioid dependence. So the idea here is that you're getting you're you're getting this drug, which is an opioid. So it kind of goes onto the same receptors, but it's much less powerful and much less addictive. So the methadone can not only reduce the intensity of with, withdrawal, but also help you to not go back on to heroin or whatever else you're using. There's also something called buprenorphine, which is also called Subutex, that can treat withdrawal from opiates and shortens the length of detox. It can, again, also be used for long-term maintenance. And it can be combined with something called naloxone, which is also called Suboxone, uh, which helps prevent dependence and misuse. And the way Suboxone works is basically you take your Suboxone and it kind of sits on those receptors. So even if you were to relapse, even if you were to use heroin per se— If you had the Suboxone in your system, you would not get high. So it takes away kind of a lot of those urges to use as long as you're taking that medication. Uh, Clonidine is also used to help reduce anxiety, agitation, muscle aches, sweating, and cramping. But it does not help reduce cravings. So it helps reduce the physical symptoms, not the psychological ones. And there's other medicines they can give you to treat vomiting and diarrhea and help with your sleep. They also sometimes give naltrexone that helps prevent relapse. So basically what that does is help control the cravings. But people who have gone through withdrawal over and over, like say you're a kind of you know 20-year user and every four or five years you quit and go, go through withdrawal, at that point, most doctors will just put you on long-term methadone or buprenorphine maintenance. And most people need long-term treatment after detox. And the reason for this is a lot of people will go in and say, like, I'm going to quit and everything will get better. And what they don't realize is if they have a 10 to 15 to 30-year habit, it takes more than just not using to kind of get off that substance. It's the difference between sobriety and recovery. Sobriety is just not using drugs, and recovery is kind of building your life in this way where you can avoid that drug. And so there's a lot of things that it can include. Self-help groups like Narcotics Anonymous or Smart Recovery, intensive outpatient treatment, uh, which is actually what I do at the site I'm at right now, inpatient treatment if things are, are really bad and you can't get away from those people, places, and things that will help you to use, and outpatient counseling. Um, and there's a bunch of different ways you can do out, outpatient counseling. There's just supportive therapy. There's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's harm reduction. Um, harm reduction, and, and actually the buprenorphine and methadone is included in this, harm reduction just means you're using less or you're using a less harmful substance. So you're not going completely sober because if you're on buprenorphine or if you're on methadone, you're still using drugs, right? But you're using a much less harmful drug both for you and kind of society at large. The other thing you really need to check for, anyone going through detox or opiates should be checked for depression and other mental illnesses because honestly, more often than not, those other mental illnesses are there and they've and they've been using this drug in order to self-medicate for that. Now, of course, there are possible complications, which is why you should usually do this with a doctor and not just by yourself like they do in this movie. So some of those complications include vomiting uh, and breathing in stomach contents into the lungs. This is called aspiration and can actually cause lung infections. Really, really dangerous. 
The vomiting and diarrhea also can cause dehydration and body chemical like electrolyte disturbances. And of course, the biggest complication is just returning to drug use. And they talk in this movie about the character, how she's done this before. She's gone cold turkey and then gone back to using. So this does happen a lot. And most opiate overdose deaths occur in people who have just detoxed. The withdrawal will reduce the person's tolerance to the drug. So then they'll go back and take the same amount that they used to take, but they don't have that tolerance. So they'll end up overdosing and could actually die. So it's a big, big worry. All right. So that's it for our psychological section. Uh, Of course, we'll take a break and then bring in Chris to talk about the movie. And we'll also talk about how this movie handles discussing acute withdrawal and whether it makes sense for the movie or not. So we'll be right back. All right, so now it's time to talk about the movie. So Evil Dead 2013. I can see why you don't have me on that part of the show. That was far too intelligent for me. (laughs) Nice. All right, uh, so what's your history with this movie? Did you see it when it first came out in theaters? Um, I I guess it's hard to talk about the history of this film without referring to the originals. Impossible, Uh, yes. So I first saw – I think it was Evil Dead 2 that I saw first. Mm. Uh, It was in the old VHS days. And I saw the Stephen King quote on the back of the other box, um, but something about that skull really kind of caught my eye on the second one. So I think I think I'm about seventy percent sure that's the one that I saw first. And right. I remember being struck by the humor in that film. That it was because yeah. I was I think eleven or twelve when I saw it, and so the idea of seeing somebody's head get smashed down in this. Uh, sort of crawl space to the basement and this eyeball shoot across the room and land in somebody's mouth. Uh, it was horrific, but it made right. me laugh. It was Looney Tunes. I had no idea that something could be that gross and funny at the same time. So right. it was really, you know, kind of, it opened the door for other films that kind of, uh, like Tom Holland doing, um, Oh God, why am I forgetting the movie now? Um, I complete the vampire movie. That's a comedy in the eighties. Why am I spacing that now? No, Fright Night. Fright oh, Fright Night. Fright. Night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so stuff like that. And, um, you know, John Landis doing Werewolf in London, these sort of horror comedies right. um, that are, I think, really difficult to pull off. And people don't understand or give that sort of subgenre of horror enough respect. Because, There's a real tentative balance there. Like, yes. it's very easy to go too far in either direction. Well, if you push the comedy too far, you're not going to have the the scares there or they won't feel like anything. So you're just waiting right. for or if you, you know, push the gore too far when you try to have comedy, it just feels out of place and it's distracting. Totally. Um, I think a good example of that would be something like Insidious. You know, when mm-hmm. it gets to the third act and it starts getting kind of goofy and funny, I am not really on board as much because it wasn't right. what I'm seeing. And it's you, I mean, you can do it in films like, um, oh, God, Tarantino and Rodriguez when they did um, From Dust Till Dawn. Right. I think that does the balance really well. Something yeah. Like, uh, Shaun of the Dead does it really well as well. But. Um, so yeah, it was something that I took for granted for a long time. And, um, then seeing army of darkness, evil dead, watching all of them, you kind of fall in love with those characters or with Bruce Campbell and the style of Sam Raimi, the Looney Tunes approach right. to. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? What's your, um, so I also saw evil dead Two first, um, which looking back, I kind of wished that that wasn't my introduction because I loved it. Like I was just, yeah. I, I think I was probably around the same age, probably around 13, which is like the perfect age to watch something like that. Like it really hits all those, all those buttons. Right. And I really enjoyed it. And then I went to a midnight movie of the first evil dead. And I was like, what is this horse shit? I don't, it, it felt like it always felt like to me, 
they didn't know it was funny when they made the first one. And then they're like, oh, wait, the funny parts actually work. Let's just go a little bit more. And that's where you get like that perfect balance of Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. So Evil Dead 1, like I think in rewatching it, I've gained some perspective on it and enjoy it a little bit more. But I remember that first watch and also feeling actually physically nauseous because of the camera movement in the mm-hmm. first movie like i cannot deal with this i think i was also like in the front row of a, oh, of a movie theater yeah, I was like no oh good. god make it stop like i cannot i cannot deal with it and i remember when this movie came out it got a lot of press just because it's like even though sam raimi produced it there was a lot of this reaction of like how dare you re- remake evil dead like it's you don't touch that that's a classic you know which is i'm sure sam raimi looks at that and he's like are you fucking kidding me like that movie cost me like eight dollars to make like yeah. <laughs> it was just some friends in a forest fucking around and he, people really he latched on it already it. with evil dead too yeah I mean, it's he, the same so. movie but a little bit funnier and with a little bit better special effects and that's kind of mm-hmm. it um so this was actually my first viewing of it um, for the podcast, I'd never seen it before. I'd heard, of course, all of the the kind of kickback about the the infamous tree rape scene, um, mm-hmm. which I think is problematic at best in this movie, uh, especially when you you take into account the Sam Raimi has said it like looking back, he calls that scene kind of a mistake. And he's like, if I were to do it again, I wouldn't have put that in there. It's unnecessary. It's it's a little creepy. I don't really like it. Um, I am glad that in this movie they took out the kind of titillating part of it. Like they didn't yes. have it be like, ooh, isn't this fun? Look at this. But it is still kind of unnecessary. There's no reason for it to be there. I get that that's how like the demon gets inside of her. But mm-hmm. there are other ways other than, you know tree rape to do that no it's just kind of like isn't that the kind of the theme of this movie is unnecessary though <laughs> yeah maybe a little bit yeah i think uh yeah i mean it's i mean we'll get to it of course with production design but i think a lot of the gore it's really well done but it is mm-hmm. it does get to a point where you're like oh, okay why not let's let's do that too like we've already gone this far let's go yeah when you get to the point where you're raining blood literally from the sky and <laughs> yeah. you're just like okay whatever yeah this, like this this makes sense this is appropriate for this world now at this yeah point. as far as we know sure why not yeah. like you said just text not subjects let's yeah. just go for it um so let's jump into it let's talk about uh the direction of this film this, this is directed by uh fetty alvarez um and that's kind of the reason we picked this movie because he's coming out later this year with don't breathe uh another Mm. horror movie which actually looks pretty interesting of course we'll talk about that at the end but i was actually like separate from the kind of this is unnecessary i feel like there are there are grains of really good direction here i was actually really impressed uh, because i think you know in a lot of ways, horror gets a, a bad rap because of this, but it's kind of the, in a lot of ways, the easiest, simplest kind of film to make. You can make it on the cheap. Bullshit. You know, really? Bullshit. Okay, please. Uh, please. Uh, uh, no, effective horror movies are not the easiest. Oh, film. that's not what I said. I didn't say effective. No, no, but that, that's, that, that, that should be, okay, that, that's like saying a, a comedy that doesn't work is is easy to make yeah absolutely making a movie that's supposed to be a comedy that doesn't work as a comedy is very easy but isn't it easier for horror movies to make their money back generally speaking than other genres at one point in time yeah and i I think the the problem becomes that you have studios and filmmakers that view horror that way they have no respect for the genre they have nothing to say with it they have nothing they want to do with it and so they Mm -hmm. come in and they make a movie with that attitude i've literally interviewed people that have had that where there's 
you know, filmmakers that have said, well, you know, horror movies are easy to make. So I figured I could do that. Mm. And that's why your movie isn't that good. Right. Because you don't care about it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't get that feeling from this director. It feels like he does really care about it. Even if I think he oversteps a lot in this movie, I think he really does. I mean, it shows that he hasn't gone from this to some other genre. Like he's continuing making Mm -hmm. horror movies. So clearly he has some sort of connection. But you can jump in and do one horror film and kind of I, – I like directors that do different genres, that they're not stuck in the one thing. You know? yeah. I, I like that somebody like Eli Roth is trying to stretch outside of that because I think he's, he's one of those filmmakers that's really, I think, talented beyond what people recognize because he's working in genre film. So they don't necessarily see that he is – he actually – all of his films have something to say and there's always something interesting going on in his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and with something like this, it's uh, – with this particular Evil Dead, I think it's impressive that this is a first-time filmmaker. Yeah. Um, that, it doesn't look like it. It, it doesn't look at like all. it. So I don't know how much of – it's always so hard to say. Is that somebody that – because Sam Raimi's producing it and he just is able to put the right production designer and he's giving him the right editor. He's giving him the right cinematographer. And all those people that put all those parts there. And so if you look at it as a director's job is really when you boil it down is to get performance. All those other things mm-hmm. that we credit, sometimes he's just a, a department head, a director. That's true. So your real job is just performance. And so in that, um, the performances here are – they're not distractingly bad, but they're not overly interesting either. Agree. Um, yeah. So it, it's not it, – you know, there's some – yeah, I would even say Evil Dead, the the first one, especially when you look at the performances of everybody but Bruce Campbell in the film, they are distracting. Wait, there's that. other people in that movie? I, <laughs> nope. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. But there are uh, there are certain shots in this movie that really struck me. I love the opening. I love the mm-hmm. opening in the fog where you're not sure. Like you're coming in knowing Evil Dead. You're like, OK, we're going to get to this cabin in the forest eventually. But it's not set up in this way where immediately we're like in the car with people and they're headed off. We're like in that forest to begin with. And I love the kind of twist at the beginning of the film where, you know, you think, oh, this poor girl, she's being attacked by by these people. And really, she is the demon inside. And I like I like that twist. And I think it's really well, really well put together and really well performed by the actress as well. Absolutely. And unfortunately, that's one of the that's the highlight for me of the movie. I I think I completely agree. Yeah, it, that that scene works with its own arc, its own story and everything and is a much more fulfilling short film than this entire movie. And so I would have been far more interested in seeing that story play out um, yeah. with his particular, you know, the visual style of the movie, I think, would have lended itself much more to this sort of, you know, kind of backstory piece where you have something that's set a few years earlier um, and you find out how the book got there and that kind of thing. And it would have been right. interesting. I, I don't. You know, jumping into prequels is never my favorite route to go. But when I look at what he did with that little short period of time, I thought it was really interesting to see his style come through as opposed to when he's aping Sam Raimi. And right. it feels like all these little callbacks constantly throughout There's the movie. There's a lot. <laughs> There's so many callbacks. You know, it would have it would have been – you could have just had the you know camera floating through the swamp and that would have been enough for me. You know, yeah. that kind of – just this little nod and then make it your movie. And um, right. if you're going to do a cover song – have something to do with it. Don't have something to say. 
Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like this movie is really imbalanced. Like, like you said, that opening's fantastic. And there's things I like about the kind of third act of the film, the end of the film. But this whole middle section is rough. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. you're just kind of, you're like, how long is this movie? Because it feels like I've been here a long time. Like, when are we getting there? And like you said, some of those performances are so uninspired. And I think for me, what always, what always separates either a bad horror movie to a good one or a good one to a great one is characters that you give a shit about. Sure. You know, like I think probably my favorite horror movie will always be Halloween. And I think if you don't care about Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie, then you don't care about the movie at all and you don't remember it. It just becomes another slasher, another slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And this does not have those characters, like the main character a little bit, like a tiny bit. But the rest of these people, you're like, I don't care if they die. I don't care what happens to them. And they, they, the reason that you, uh, for me, that I care about something like you can go into Halloween and say where you don't find anything about the killer. You know that he was a little kid that went bad and then he breaks out and he comes back to finish that's what it. he wanted to start. And that's yeah. it. And that's enough for me. Um, it's scarier that way, frankly. Much scarier. <laughs> um, in this where you get into these plot points that are so unnecessary where you find out that this girl, you want to have this sort of meditation through gore on drug addiction – but you make it so that she became a drug addict because she watched her mother die and she was watching her mother die and her brother wasn't supportive. So she had to pretend that she was her brother. And so she couldn't possibly deal with this by herself. So she started shooting heroin. Fine, I guess. Sure. Okay, if you want to go that route. But it doesn't do anything as far as adding any degree of sympathy for these characters because it right. feels so forced. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't feel organic. It doesn't feel natural. Um, and, and honestly, the idea of doing possession as a – you know, allegory for drug addiction. It can could have been done in an interesting way, and I think it's a good concept. It's a good something you can play with. Um, something like Eva's Possessions did it in a comedy style, then I think that was far more effective. Um, and if he would have, it just you, you got to go one way or the other um, with something right. like this. You're going to have something super serious and like I don't know, over the top with the gore. It doesn't feel like you can also have the same camera work that looney tune style that sam raimi had um and the tree rape and those touches in it that don't feel because the way he's handling the material it just feels like he's actually trying to say something with it instead of just it's it's not a lark so it never feels fun yeah yeah no i totally agree there's i think that's the big difference between this and the evil dead franchise is other movies is there there's not a moment of this movie where i'm having a good time like it's all super sober and serious yeah. and dramatic and rough. And you're just like, I could use a joke like any time. <laughs> and even when they have these odes where like, you know, they, they have the line. What is it like? You know, something about your mother sucking cock in hell like that's sure. that's in there. And in the original, that's funny because it's so over the top. But in yeah. this, it's like, well, that's fucked up. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to think about that. You know, and it's just yeah. it's all about tone. Like you can have the same lines and it does not have the same effect. Absolutely. It's like they add the long hair, 70s looking hippie guy in the movie. And he's the the guy that's not even a stoner or anything. He's super serious. And Ugh. he opens the Necronomicon and reads the or passages. And like, doesn't tell anybody. Like, no, of course not. I think if I found that book, the first thing I would do would be like, hey, guys, look at this crazy shit. Like, should yeah. we open it and not just be like, well, let me just thumb through it and start saying things out loud. Like, no, it's not really a good call, man. And that, that character, like he was the guy that in towards the 
third act of the film when he calls the guy a brother he calls the 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 brother character a coward for not wanting to kill his sister <laughs> what a pussy <laughs> <laughs> For wanting to hopefully hold out to see if there's some humanity in there. Right, yeah. The only other thing I wanted to bring up as far as direction is there's a there's a scene kind of near the end of the film in the third act where mm-hmm. our main character is trapped in this corridor um, while the kind of knife is coming through. And I just, I love the way this scene is shot. Like, you really do get that sense of the world is closing in and there is no room. And I just thought it was a really creative way to shoot that. And it was a real moment, probably the first real moment for me of, like, genuine fear while watching this, where you see the kind of the deadites closing in on our main character. Like, that stuff really, really worked for me, which does give me hope for this director's kind of future endeavors. Like, he knows what he's doing. There's a lot of bad decisions here, but the, the filming of it isn't. And like you said, a lot of credit might go to the cinematographer um for this but i'm sure it's shared yeah I, I have no idea um right I, yeah i think that there's i this is if this is the first thing he does yeah i'm definitely even though i really don't care for this film at all i want to see what he does next because yeah. there's enough interesting stuff here um when he's not working in this mirror um when he is trying to make it his own i think that he had and Fuck, it's a losing proposition because if you make it exactly the same and keep the tone the same, yeah. you're going to get destroyed for that. So you try to make it too serious and we're destroying him for doing that. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no way around it unless – but it becomes this thing if you make it so much your own, which is what would make me happy, then you would look at it and you go, well, fuck. Then why aren't they – why are they even calling it Evil Dead? Right. Just give it its own name. And you'd so. be giving credence to all the people before the movie came out being like, you can't fucking do Evil Dead. And they'd be like, yeah. see? You can't. You proved it. Well, well done. I, this movie was pretty successful, though. It was. It did well. Yeah. Yeah. Because it stayed in its lane. You know, like, I, I think I think it's one of those movies that did well when it came out. But this is not a movie that even Big Evil Dead fans, I think, are going to go sure. back to and rewatch. They're just going to go back to the original trilogy. But this movie was like, it was, I think, around like an 80 or $90 million movie is what it made. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and if you, I, there's a part of me, this sort of like 16-year-old punk rock kid inside of me. That loves the fact that this was playing in multiplexes around the oh, country. Yeah. yeah. And that like it probably opened on twenty five hundred screens or something like that. And so that means that people wandered into this and this is a gory <laughs> fucking it really movie. Is. This is a nasty movie. So yeah. this might be one of the goriest wide releases I can think of, honestly. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I can't even fathom one being more so like even sitting at home. There were parts I was like, Jesus, guys, like (laughs) and and it's not you're not watching a director's cut. No, this is what was put out. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to talk about, and this kind of will fold into our description of the script as well. Mm -hmm. But I think this movie does have like a severe gender issue. (laughs) Like all of the women are the and granted, some of that is odes to the original. Right. Mm -hmm. But like all the women are the ones who originally get kind of taken over by the deadites and it's very it's very pointed like these poor men under the attack of these like devil women and it was a little like i i was noticing it like granted we have our we have the original girl and that's fine but then once all the other women start getting kind of infected by this i was a little kind of like guys we don't get i think a male deadite until like the very end of the film and it's like, really? But, the, but all the men are actually the ones that are causing this to happen to the women. Hmm. So if you really think about it, it's the, the – we were talking about the long hair 70s guy. He's the one that unleashes this demon. It was the brother who was the one who actually caused the sister to go down this path. So I think the women are actually OK here. They're the victims it starts out as. 
And it's when this uh, – our Ash, our version of Ash in the end when she actually starts to stand up to the to the brother and starts to stand up to this uh, version of what they've unleashed that she finds her independence and eventually becomes her true self again. Hmm. I think that when – I think that's the idea of it. I think it was very – it was a – decided version of it where they're making this a woman and they didn't simply just recast it. I think they actually played with the gender roles here and I think it was intentional. I don't think um, you can accuse a lot of horror films of sexism outright. Sure. I think that this film is a far more aware of it and actually I I wouldn't say this is a sexist Mm. film because it doesn't treat the male characters with any more respect than it treats the women. (laughs) Yeah. None of the characters getting respect. Like maybe it's just one of those things that they had a good idea and they just didn't like stick the dismount. On on the kind of gender stuff going on. Well, it is okay. So this is something that we both mentioned. The sort of the main subtext of it is very clear. Um, so if that's something that you're dealing with, that maybe they can't put that much out there. Yeah. That it's if you're going to put everything that that on you know Front Street, it's going to be <laughs> simply people having these monologues the entire time about sexism, about you know <laughs> gender inequality, about the glass ceiling, and it, fuck man, you know when are, <laughs> when are we going to watch somebody tongue a knife? <laughs> oh man, that scene. Oh good god, that was rough. All right, so let's very briefly talk about the acting, uh, mm-hmm. such as it is in this movie. Um, so our main character Jane Levy, who plays me. I think it's fine here. I think she's she's borderline good. Like I th- I think her her performance is really good here, and especially it's probably just in comparison to the complete uninspired acting around her that she, we're like you know I could get behind this girl. Like okay, I, I care about her, and like you said, similar that you know whether they meant to or not, similar to the original movies where you're just like okay, so this is all about Bruce Campbell. Everyone else is just like deadite fodder. Sure. Um, but I think her performance, especially when she's being forced to stay there against her will in in those scenes, kind of before everything is taken over, I thought she was really good and really convincing. I, I agree. And I think that sir, the people that are in the supporting roles, I don't think that they're doing a bad job. I just think that they're cast wrong. And mm-hmm. I think you can tell it. Um, there's the the doctor, the woman or the she's a nurse, whatever. Nurse, something yeah. Like, yeah. Um, when she's there, see, there you go. That's how unsexist I am. I assumed she was a doctor. Well done. All right. So, <laughs> um, she's, it, it's, you see this character and she's wearing an MC five shirt. And are you familiar with the MC five at all? I don't think so. Uh, old, like proto punk band from the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, their big song was kick out the jams and this oh, yeah, yeah. does okay. not seem like the type of woman that has ever kicked out the jams once no. in her life. Not at all. And so I think if you're, you're to talk to the director's job also, which is casting, you know, it's choosing the right people for the right roles. I don't think that any of these actors that are in these roles are necessarily bad. I just don't think they're in the their strengths. They're not these parts aren't written right to the way that you can have somebody that's just kind of halfway there. Um, so, yeah, I think that falls on the director's yeah. side. I think I mean, the one that stands out the worst to me is the brother uh, played yeah. by Shiloh Fernandez. Like, I just thought. He was like it was like bad acting 101. Like I, I, it looked like there were just cue cards on the screen because he'd always just have that dead look on his face, which is great if you're a deadite, but not so great before they attack. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, I'm not convinced you are feeling a thing. Is that appropriate for the character, though? I don't think so. I, I think there's a line. I think I, I see what you're saying, where he was the one who kind of left the mother's side and he's kind of distant and kind of keeps because everyone if, at arm's length. But if you have a guy that's overly charming who comes in and seems warm and compassionate to his sister, 
then when they start revealing all this backstory of what happened, that doesn't that feels very convenient. Right. Um, I don't think he pulled off maybe what they were trying to go for with that, and maybe that was the direction they were trying to put him in. And I think you're right that he's probably the weakest you know performance right. here, but. I think that more than likely he was being pushed in that direction because mm. it, otherwise it wouldn't make sense for the, the character arc. Yeah, I just think he was too blank for me. Like it wasn't mm. that he was coming off as too charming or not charming enough. It was just there was nothing there. So, well, And that's great, I guess, from a script perspective because then you can put anything in his backstory and you're like, maybe. <laughs> like, so sure, why if, not? If you put, if you put in like, um, you know, Tom Cruise from Magnolia in that role, and you have Mackie running around the house. <laughs> that might be a little a much. Little a little bit better, but it might be a little much. I think you're going too far. <laughs> but yeah, I just you know, especially when you're talking when in terms of like amounts amount of lines, you have like he's kind of number two to our uh to our main character. So mm-hmm. he has a lot of this dialogue and every time he talks I just want it to stop. And that's usually not a good sign for your movie when your actor talks and I'm just like where are the where are the zombies? Can we get the deadites in here cuz <laughs> this but needs he, to stop. He does have a lot of exposition that he's throwing out there. He does. It's and rough. So that, and that, that's, that's not that's, easy. That's a script issue. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It, and it's it's hard to pull. I mean, that's something when there's actors that can pull off that kind of dialogue. And make that engaging. That's the sort of that's the lie that tells the truth. That's fucking acting when yeah. you can see that and they pull that off. And that's something that's that's a lot of the problem in horror films, kind of what we were talking about before, where you say it's easy to do. It's the easiest ones to get made. And yes, from a financial point of view, people right. will like have lower standards and pull those back in. But to actually to have something that works because of you have to world build and set up these rules and set up this whole universe in this really short period of time and somehow make it scary. Right. It's yeah. so, very difficult to pull off. So I wonder about that. So two things. One, I'm trying to think of horror movies that do that well. And two, with an Evil Dead movie, I wonder like, okay, do you need that necessarily? Like I guess it depends on what you want your audience to be. If you want people to wander in like you were talking about, everybody to see it, you need that. But if you're making this quote unquote for the fans, then do you need that, right? And the only the only movie I can think of uh, and again, always go back to Halloween because it's my favorite. I think mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance does a great job of that, like of setting that world and setting us up just enough. It's also minimal and really well written. So you're kind of like, OK, let's go. Let's move forward. Think of the uh, in The Shining, the innkeeper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. I yeah. mean, you can there's there's plenty of them that pull that off. So right. um, you can. Oh, God. It's I mean, there's some of them are even bad movies where they have good actors in there that are able to pull off those sort of exposition heavy roles. It's just what you're doing with it. If the atmosphere around it makes it work, then it's sure. it's that's what you have to support it. Um, the problem is when you leave people out there on their own to give that exposition. Right. Um, if you think about in the it honestly, the first 15 minutes of the exorcist where they're wandering around the desert seems pointless, but that's honestly, that's setting up the entire story. That's the exposition of the film in a lot of ways. Um, that, you know, I can't remember the actor's name, but the priest in that film has, he's saddled with a ton of that shit and he pulls it off really well. Max von Sydow in that movie pulls it off really well. Yeah. So um, yeah, it definitely. So do you think that exposition was necessary in the script? Um, no. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's such a simple, I don't know. It's just such a, I mean, granted it's hard because I can't separate the knowledge I have already, but it's not like this is a really heavy world building difficult story to tell it's like you open the book you say the words and they show up 
and they attack. Like, that's literally it. So (laughs) I think what ends up happening is with films like this, it's the same thing that happens with, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where the original film of that I think really works. It's a terrifying movie. Um, I have the 4K remastered of it, and I put that on probably three times since I bought that last year. It's one of those movies that still affects me. There's still moments in that movie that still get to me. Right. Um, but it's one of those ones that you look at and on its surface, you can look at it and say, well, there's some acting that's not there. It's real grainy. You know, what if we take the movie and we just get like a really talented music video director to get in here that's going to make it look real glossy and clean, but we'll make it nasty and gory. We'll get a couple of decent actors in there. We'll get a great soundtrack. We'll get, you know, the, now we'll put this up on XD screens. It's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> and you do all those things and you have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it has good actors in there. Um, that have done good work outside of it. You have right. a really beautiful look to the film, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's gory as fuck. There's some really clever shots in it. Um, when I first started watching horror, it was just if you kind of like a, a comedy, if you had three moments in it that made me laugh out loud, I was good. That's right. all I wanted from it. In horror films, it used to be the magic trick to me. It was if you had a couple moments in there that I couldn't figure out how they pulled it off and it was right. something that just caught me off guard. I, I got my price of admission. Yeah, your oh moments, shit moment. Like, yeah, your oh yeah. shit moment. That's yeah. all I needed. Yeah. Um, so they do that, but it all falls flat. Right. And I think that's the same thing that happened here where people looked at the second Evil Dead and said, yeah, that one's great. Army of Darkness is great. But let's go back and do that serious version of it. Let's go back and try to pull off what we were trying to pull off. And this might have been Sam Raimi's idea where he's saying, let's it do the be. actual horror film version of it. Right. And considering that's the guy who made the Oz movie – and Spider-Man 3, he's got some bad ideas in there also. Yeah, it's a little – it's hit and miss with Sam. Yeah, you never you never quite know what you're going to get. That's very true. Um, so there's some things I want to bring up with writing that just legitimately bothered me. So the like homemade defibrillator scene, which is like probably the funniest part of the movie, but they're not really going for humor in that moment. Like I'm like, none of this makes sense. Like this is ridiculous. Like – it's sure. unnecessary. It's over the top. And I just found myself like rolling my eyes. It wasn't something where I was like, oh, I really hope she can survive this. Like I was like, don't care. Don't don't care who dies. Don't care who lives. This thing is stupid. This is, I think – and well, it sucks because the beginning of that movie, like you mentioned, is so good. And then mm-hmm. it just like lies there for like 50 to 60 minutes. If they would have taken that scene and had – you know. It doesn't – the movie, it, it's not that it does – it just lies there. They're trying. They're swinging for the fences here. Oh, yeah. Big like, swings. I, I mean it's – Yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're striking out left and right for me. But <laughs> yeah. there's you – know, they are trying. So it, when you build up to that moment though, when you've seen everything that you've already seen at that point, it doesn't work. In Pulp Fiction, right. you have a very similar scene. But that scene works because it stands out from the entire film. Right. And so when you have a scene like this, you know, when you're shooting adrenaline in the heart or you're just taking a needle and sticking it in there so that you can essentially shock the heart and get it going again. Right. Um, when they're trying to make that happen, it just it doesn't work because you've seen too much. And that's kind of the a lot of what happens in this movie. You've seen too much already. Right. You just get overloaded. And it's like, OK. <laughs> have you ever been in a bad relationship and you get to that point? <laughs> Indeed. Where it's like – <laughs> you're, you're, you're trying to hurt my feelings, but uh, I'm broken. I, just, all I don't even feel it. Like I, I, I got nothing left for it. Say you. whatever you want. It's just like my mom. My mom's a cunt. Sure. Yeah. yeah why let's not? Go with that. 
So um, the other thing we talked about kind of the lack of logic in the kind of reading the Necronomicon to begin with. There's a scene later in the movie when everything has gone to shit. Like, you know, the deadites are here. People are getting bit. There's like, Mm -hmm. you know, people being beaten to death. And at some point, one of the characters said, "Okay, we're not going to kill anyone. And I'm like, really? Like, I mean, I get it. Like, these people are your friends. But, like, look at what's going on around you. Like, just let's do the eye test for a minute. (laughs) Like, really? This is the hill you want to die on? Because you will die on it if you're not going to kill anyone in this situation. Yeah, I I, I agree. But, I mean, it's – where do you go without that from that point, though? Considering they've already let everything out of the bag, you have to pull that back in so that you can have this one-on-one showdown in the end. Right. I think, you know, from a script perspective, I don't think there's anything – I don't think the script is, like, fundamentally flawed. I just think there's not enough built in either to the acting or the script or the direction, wherever you want to lay the blame here. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it could be – it's probably all of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure it's a combination of all of them. But like we've talked about, you just you just don't care about any of them. No. There's, there's nothing human tying you here. It just felt like they're like, well, we're going to make an Evil Dead movie, so all the fans will see it. So it's like we don't really have to do that. And mm-hmm. like, you know, I think what they, they're forgetting is there's a number of things that people love about the Evil Dead movies. Some of it is the gore. Some of it is over the, the over-the-top nature of it. But some of it is just this, this amazing, crazy performance from Bruce Campbell. That's what makes that movie memorable. And there are no amazing and no even memorable performances here. Like, I, you know, we're going to talk about favorite scenes in a bit. And it's probably going to be all the gore because there's not like a moment from one of these characters where you're like, yeah, that was amazing. Great. I mean, our main character does have a couple good moments at the end of the film. I think I think some of that really works. But generally, like, just kind of like, nope, <laughs> like, nothing yeah. there. Yeah, I I. I, I... I don't disagree with you, um, but and it's just that's why it kind of falls flat. And this was originally planned to be um, a part of a trilogy that was going to go into a sequel after this. And then it was going to um, tie into the Bruce Campbell uh, Evil Dead world was going to be the third one. They were going to pull both worlds together. Right. Um, and there's and even so an ha- appearance here by Bruce Campbell, like after the right, credits. Yeah, yeah. The groovy. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's kind of that's part um, of the movie. <laughs> it's, it's not the worst part. There yeah. you go. You, you already gave away the highlight, uh, favorite moments. Yeah. So I, I mean, but it's it's so hard to like uh, destroy this kind of film for me because I don't think that they could have. Even though I'm not a huge fan of it, it's something that I I enjoyed it a little bit more the first time I saw it hmm. um, because it wasn't a theater and there were more hmm. jumps and there was people getting sure. grossed out and there was that kind of idea of this is actually something I'm seeing right now in crowded <laughs> like, malls. How crazy parks. is this? Yeah. This is batshit crazy. This is ridiculous. So I, I was enjoyed it then. And then sitting down, I hadn't watched it since though. And I buy everything. I buy a ton of movies. I have crap that I'll never watch, but there was this part of me that knew you don't need to see this again. <laughs> Sorry about that, Chris. <laughs> Little did you know someday you would meet me and you would be watching this again. I mean, I watched it with my wife the first time and she, when I was going out to the living room to watch this the other night, I'm going to go watch the evil dead. And she's like, Oh, which one? I'm like, Oh, the new one. She's, Why? <laughs> you have the other ones, right? Why would you do that? Uh, sorry, Mrs. Maynard <laughs> got you too. All right. So let's talk about the production value. Cause I think that's, 
I mean, and that's the high point of this movie. Sure. Because from what I've read, and it's not much, but a lot of the gore is kind of done by hand here. It's not a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, expensive generated effects. It's kind of this old school look, which I really like. Particularly, um, also, like, the Book of the Dead itself, I thought looked really good. And you could tell they put a lot of work into it. You know, like, no, they didn't... They, sort of. Okay. They, they, okay. The, the Book of the Dead bothers me. Because the introduction okay. to it, he has this barbed wire wrapped around it it's like probably about uh, i don't know if do you know where i'm going with this it's like half millimeter thick barbed wire and then he pulls out something that would barely cut one of my toenails and yep. he just starts clipping through it <laughs> i mean and that's where the logic of the scene already is like way gone not just because he's clipping it with that but like okay if i see a book any book no matter what it looks like it could just be like leather bound book and it has barbed wire on it I'm not opening that the fucker. There's no way. There's a reason. There's a reason. <laughs> Horror movie logic. I, I have to go with that though. Right. Because when the when the voices go, get out, you you have to Bye. go in. You know? I <laughs> yeah. mean, yes, of course, in our reality. Right. But I'm not paying to watch my reality. I'm paying to watch the dickhead that goes inside. Yeah, absolutely true. But I thought like you could it's some movies, when you have something like a Book of the Dead or something similar, they'll just open up to one page and they'll just put a lot of work into that. I like that yeah. they actually did the work of like they must show at least 20 different sequences of stuff in the book and notes scrawled on it. And I, of course. I, I like that they put the work into it there. Well, if you were directing an Evil Dead movie, mm-hmm. wouldn't you want to have the badass Necronomicon sitting on your – at the very least, that's it. You know, yes. I'm ta- I, if I'm directing – If it's the only all- movie they ever let me make – <laughs> I it. got this. Yeah. I look at this thing and I want it to be perfect. I want it to be like the the notebooks from Seven. Yeah, you know, exactly. It needs to be that detailed. I actually had that thought as as I was watching the movie. It's like this was someone's job like, to, to build cool this. Job. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think of the special effects of the Deadites themselves in comparison to kind of the original movies? Oh, it's, it's uh, on an effects level, everything here is better. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just it's in service of, of – something different so it does, effects don't mean shit uh, production design doesn't mean anything it doesn't make a movie um that's michael bay you know <laughs> that you just having sweeping cameras and pretty looks doesn't you know there's a reason that pearl harbor has 25 percent on rotten tomatoes it's because it's a turd it's not a good movie it's not so, because the critics are getting paid off by some other studio that's not <laughs> uh yeah it has a 25 percent because they were all flown down to hawaii for the premiere it would have been a four <laughs> percent <laughs> like it's not that bad i mean <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah that's a really good point um so the other note i've written down for production value is just one word and it's tongue uh, cause that scene, like it That's, takes a yeah. lot to gross me out in a movie. Cause you know, I've watched a lot of kind of special features of how they do this stuff. And that takes away a little of the punch, but that scene got to me. Like I was like, yep. I, ooh, I almost don't want to continue watching this. Like it's that level of kind of gross out, but it's really yep. well done. And they really take their time with it. It's not a quick cutaway. Like no. they just like, okay, let's just keep the camera here and show yeah, this splitting. Like it's rough slides down and ooh. just, you see both sides come across it and it is nasty it is absolutely yeah and it's effective it still works it's so Mm -hmm. gross and disturbing that you can't even try to think about how they made the magic trick work no you just assume it's a digital effect mixed with practical on some level don't want to know who who cares (laughs) nope 
Yeah. The other effect I really like, there's a scene where the the kind of virus of the deadite starts in the hand Mm -hmm. and you can see the hand kind of flaking away and it kind of creeping up the arm. I thought that was really effective. Like, it's very easy for something like that to come off comical. Like, okay, that's obvious. And it is a fake hand. It is, you know, it is prosthetics, obviously. But in... In watching the movie, I never felt like that. I was just like, that is fucking horrifying. That's yeah. it for for a moment. You're like, yeah, cut off your hand, cut off your arm. I'm good with that. Yep. Yeah, there's um, but that's also well, when she starts cutting it off, she's using like, <laughs> OK, I had I, this in my notes, too. Like, you know, that well, is well, not going to cut through bone. There is no fucking way to cut my fucking turkey. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I was like, like it's how, a turkey carver. That's not going to work. No, you're just going to get get against the bone and it's just going to vibrate off. That's not going to work. Gets into like a little bit too dark a meat. It's a little bit too much gristle (laughs) in there and it starts like, you know, backfiring on you. So there's no way. I mean, it's disgusting. So you kind of let it go. But, you know, this is a cabin. You could have had an axe lying around or something terrible or a chainsaw. Like sure. we have later in the movie, if you want to talk about odes, like yeah, oh, no, but the odes are just over. It's too many. Like you yeah. know, any one of them, the car would have been a good ode, and that's yeah, all you would have. Good enough. That would have been subtle. You have the Only car the real- and the cabin done. It's Evil Dead. We know it. Let's let's yeah. move on. And also the cabin, like you know, for production value, looked good. It looked certainly mm-hmm. much better than the cabin they used in in the original Evil Dead, which isn't sure. saying a whole lot. Uh, but I think the production value is really where this shines. Like whoever the production designer and the special effects team, like they did great, great work here. And like Absolutely. you know that that you should shine a light on that too. Like the movie itself. You know, it does go way too overboard, way too over the top. So, so much blood and everything else that you're just like, I can't bring myself to care anymore. Like we've, you know, we've hit this too hard, but they do good work. There's not, I don't think there's a single uh, kind of gross out scene that more than the others stands out as bad. Like they all really work. No, there's nothing that looks bad here at all. And I just, I wonder what it's like for those guys. Cause these are people that are gifted artists. They, you know, go to school um, they go into film, I'm assuming, because there's a part of them that wants to be a storyteller. You know, they, they maybe yeah. wanted to go into, you know, if you just wanted to cash a paycheck, you would have gone into graphic design or gone into something along those lines and just done that. But you decided you wanted to tell stories. You wanted to make films. And unfortunately, the vast majority of shit that your talents go towards are shit like this it's yeah. in service of nothing right the gore fest yeah for sure or the gore fest or it's like you know watching a bunch of dudes in capes you know run around and fight like uh, i don't know some cop who decides that it's you know how much power can one hero have or whatever it is whatever the story <laughs> is that we're all running with that month and right it's that it, it's just it, it must make these guys sad and i assume that's why um, you, if there's this movie that I saw this year uh, from Fantasia Fest called Un- The Unseen, and it was a guy that did the special effects for uh, Deadpool, and mm. this this movie's phenomenal though, and you can see uh, The Unseen, the special effects in there are in service of a story. Right. Uh, Wait, are you and- saying Deadpool is not the best movie of the year? Is that is that what you're telling me? Um, I watched 15 minutes of it and turned it off. <laughs> it was so bad I walked out of my house. I didn't walk out of the theater. <laughs> Like I just need a break from anything that is no, touched I, 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 this movie. No, it was like it was like being in a theater, and I was like, "Oh fuck this shit," and just left my house, forgetting I'm at home. <laughs> oh, I can picture that. That's fan fucking tastic. Okay, um, so let's jump into favorite scenes. Might be a little difficult because it's not a movie either of us like really loved, but I'm sure there are some moments that you like. So, what was one of your favorite scenes? Well, I, I, we touched on it, went into it. Obviously, the opening is 
the highlight of the movie for me. It's the the best part of it. Yeah. Um, as far as a, there's a little gore moment that it's even though it's there's no realism there, but it still works for me when she at the end of the film the jeep is flipped over on her and she has to actually pull her Oof. arm apart. And it just sticks on that for so long while the tendon is tearing apart and it looks like a piece of chicken being ripped apart. Yeah. And it, it's almost like it's enough to make you a vegetarian watching <laughs> meat get ripped from the bone like that. Right. That is a great sequence, actually. That's the scene I was kind of talking about with like near the end. Yeah. I think it so like you have these great bookends, like just fucking fantastic. Uh, and that scene in particular, I mean, it's hard to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it like within the kind of horror genre, like it really does kind of give you that rush, that oh shit moment that you're you're really searching for through most of the movie. I I thought it was great. Well, yeah, that knife scene, though, is so much of the oh shit that anything after that is just it's I've that's kind of they blew their load with that. You know, if they're holding off for anything, that was it. And I'm I'm already sleepy time by the time the. uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Actually, I think we're talking about the same scene, the scene with Olivia where she kind of recreates what she's seen, this horrific image in the mirror Uh on her own face. Like I that's actually one of my favorite moments in the film. I think it's like brilliantly done, brilliantly crafted uh, and legitimately scary where you're like, oh, like you see that image and it's a terrifying image. And it's bad enough already, and then you come back in and you see her doing this to her own face. I mean, that was pretty brutal and like and pretty impressive. I did like yeah. that moment. I didn't necessarily like like okay, now we're gonna bash her head in with, you know, with a piece of porcelain, you know, for twenty five minutes. Like I don't, you know, like it's one of those scenes that gets to the point. Like you said, it blew its load early in that scene, not only in the movie. So mm-hmm. then when you get to the point where she's attacking someone, you're almost like, okay, I'm already terrified by what happened. This doesn't add anything here. For me. Yeah, if you show um, – there's something about that effect where you cut the lip far enough back where you expose the tooth and you can see where the cheek should be. That I, you, I've seen it in a couple of their films, but it, it never – it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it's – you know that, that that's the kind of magic trick that I, I can always get behind. It's just something that always fucks with me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so now we have to talk about the theme a little bit. Um, so what did you think as far as how the movie used this kind of withdrawal process, which was actually pretty on point, like a, a lot of what was going on? Like I actually work with with drug addicts. That's my job. Uh, and I've talked mm-hmm. to them about what withdrawal was like and all this kind of vomiting mm-hmm. and feeling like things are crawling on you and all this kind of bodily stuff that's happening and you feel like it's never going to stop you feel like you're going crazy that's all pretty on point so what did you think of its use here though in the kind of context of the movie i think that they should have if they they clearly did some research here mm-hmm. um or you know firsthand experience um yeah anybody i and you'll you can probably you know dispute this and i'm probably wrong but most drug addicts going through that point of withdrawal they don't look like a model that has a little bit of white, you know, powder on their face. So <laughs> yeah, um, usually not. <laughs> you know, if if you're going to get somebody, you know, that's get somebody that has the physicality of like a, a Juliet Lewis, or get somebody that's right. like that looks like that. You know, not that she's not a beautiful woman because she is, but somebody that could be through minimal makeup could look right. that part. You know, that you could move somebody that looks a little bit more gaunt. She has this full, really pretty face, and right. it just she never she never looks sickly to me. Right? And no, so I totally agree. Yeah, and don't get me wrong; it's you know, I understand you want to put a pretty face on the movie to stare at for you know an hour and a half. But if you're going to deal with drug addicts and you want this withdrawal thing to be taken seriously, um, 
I'm sure she would have been fine to be made look a little bit uglier. Yeah. And it just, I never feel that. I never thought that, I don't know if it's a performance thing or it's a makeup effects thing or if it's a cast, whatever that is. But I never felt like she was going through that withdrawal. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're hitting all the right notes, but. Right. It, Man, I was so ready to tell you you were wrong. God damn it. Like I was I was primed. But no, that's actually correct. Uh, one of the things I think they did really well is there's this kind of sequence where you're seeing this intervention process, like when she wants to leave and they're not letting her. You're seeing it from yeah. her perspective and how it feels like this attack. And that's like kind of everything I've heard of what it's like. And I thought they, they did a really good job with that. Like in that moment, I really did feel for our main character, like, oh, God, just let her leave. Like, this is awful. And there's some yeah. line that the, the, the nurse has where she says, you know, she's getting all the care here she would in a hospital. And I was like, what? No. You know what they <laughs> give you when you're withdrawing from drugs? Other drugs to make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> she's getting none of that. Like this is cold turkey. This is actually – depending on the drug. Like if this was – if she was detoxing from alcohol, like she could die from this. Like okay, you don't yeah, just go cold turkey. That mm, It's not a good call, guys. <laughs> But that's something they never touch on, and nope. it's something that's actually not very well known that detoxing from alcohol is by far the most dangerous. Like yep. it's by it's so much worse than heroin. Yep. Um. You, you the cases of people dying from detoxing from heroin are relatively minimal. Um. It's usually it's you know you can you you go down on the bench. You're, it's rough. It's yeah. not pretty, but um. You'll come out of it. You know if you can make it through that that couple days. It's not. But from what I've seen, the limited amount that I've seen people in that state, they they look. It's yeah, bad. It's, it's not really something rough. I would ever. And so if they would have focused more on that, I, I think that you could have really had that story and you kind of forget that you're an evil, in an evil dead movie for a little right. while and focus on that and had a really interesting dynamic with the, the brother and this sort of idea of addiction and that play with that world for a little bit and then have all this shit come together in the end when you care about both these characters and you are coming to, you know, <laughs> it, you know, I, I if, if I'm rewriting the movie, yeah, yeah. I, I think you actually uh, – you're talking about it being kind of a slog in the middle. I would probably have made it much worse um, where I would have slowed it down and made tried to make you forget where you were and tried to invest you in these characters. And then in the third act have you know the shit hit the fan. Yeah, I mean I think I would have preferred that because it's not, it's not a slog because it's slow. I mean no. like you said, they're swinging for the fences with every scene and you're like, God, I could use like – I mean I know like <laughs> horror gets a bad rap for like not having the most characterization. Like you got to have your kill shots. You got to have your blood and gore. But I could use like the great horror movies you do care. So you needed that I think. And that's the thing that's kind of upsetting about this movie to me in general is all I really knew about it was Evil Dead remake – Tree rape, of course, because that got the most publicity out of anything, sure. and the idea that they were they were having one of their characters detoxing from drugs, and I thought like, oh, what a great idea, because yeah. like as someone is getting infected with this virus or whatever you want to call it, like she's she's vomiting, she's she's like not sleeping, all this stuff also has the pattern of withdrawal from drugs. And I was like, what a great idea. And again, it was like totally great idea that just never stuck the dismount. Like it was just like none of this really worked. Like the vomiting scene I think worked. Um, but like you said, the makeup uh, for her as she slowly kind of degenerates there, like doesn't really work. She looks a little bit too pretty and people – uh, are a little bit too stupid about what she's going through. Like, sure. even if you've never seen someone detoxing, you're kind of like, oh, I don't think uh, that should happen. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, like she's coming out here with right. a gun telling us all we're all going to die like that. Mm, maybe not. 
but th- I think the problem is when you have the idea of you're trying to tell a story about something and you're telling it twice. And that's why it's not effective. Because right. you're having someone literally withdraw from drugs and then figuratively withdraw from drugs. So right. it doesn't work. If yeah. you want to tell a story about somebody withdrawing from drugs, tell it literal and go through that. Right. Or if you want to kind of make a film about that under the guise of something else, then you point the finger in other ways. It's like every vampire film is pretty much talking about addiction in some way or another. Sure. Um, sure. You look at something like Near Dark and that's clearly about you know drug use. Um, right. The Catherine Bigelow movie from the 80s. Mm-hmm. So um, – you can do that in a clever way. There's ways around that. So, um, but when you do it twice, it's, I've already seen this. Yeah. I've, I've been down this path. Yeah. There's a lot in this movie of kind of trying to do too much. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like I'm going to make an old evil dead and I'm going to make my own thing. I'm going to, I'm going to top the blood and gore with every sequence. I'm going to make it about addiction and about addiction. And it's like, guys, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's a, it's a hundred minute horror movie. Like you don't have to hit everything. Like, and it's also your first movie. Like maybe scale it back a little bit. Well, I, I, that's pretty common for first-time filmmakers, though. Mm, that's true. Um, where they throw out every idea they've ever had, and they're like, I don't know if I'll ever get to make another one. Yeah, and, so it, it, and any moment could be an audition for another movie. Like, well, well, I like that thing you did in this scene. Let's let's zoom in on that, and let's make a movie that kind of ties into that talent of yours. Well, if you look at the first Evil Dead, Sam Raimi's doing that with it, where there's all these little tricks that he had been doing with the short films with Bruce Campbell they've been doing in their backyards. Um, And so they put everything they knew how to do. They threw everything out there and tried to make this movie work because they didn't know if they would ever make another one. Yeah. And so I can't fault anyone for doing that. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, So let's briefly talk about the movie we're tying this into, uh, which is, of course, as we mentioned, directed by Fede Alvarez again. And this is Don't Breathe. And if you look at the kind of IMDb description, it says a group of friends break into the house of a wealthy blind man thinking they'll get away with the perfect heist. They're wrong. Uh, So um, I actually saw the trailer for this, and this was one of the creepier trailers I've seen. I really enjoyed it. My Mm -hmm. only concern really is this is the second horror movie this year that surrounds at least one character with with this disability. Like we had Hush earlier this year, which was fantastic. Actually, one of one of my favorite movies this year. I really enjoyed it. Straight to Netflix. Ridiculous. God, it's so good. It's better than 99% of the movies I saw in the theater this year. It's It's great. So if you haven't seen that, go watch that. We didn't cover it on this show, but I was a guest on In Session Film and we talked about it. And I never would have seen it probably Mm -hmm. if somebody hadn't been like, hey, be on this show and watch this movie. I'm like, oh, all right. And I was like floored by it. So my only worry is that as a viewer, I'm going to be connecting these two movies. And that is such a high standard. It goes back to the, there's movies from the seventies that are on the same thing though. Yeah. Um, There's uh, the, what's the movie with, uh, Oh God, is it Julie Christie where she's blind and she's in the apartment and whatever that is. I mean, they've had, they've done films like this a bunch of times. So it doesn't, those sort of plot devices are just that it's like, it would be basically like saying, you know, I, I saw a cop movie earlier this year, so I, you know, I don't know <laughs> if I could possibly watch a movie about, you know, whatever it is. And so, right. sure. there's these there's these tropes that are it, unfortunately they exist in every genre, but right. we attack horror for them so much more. That's true. Um, you're you're not worried about characterization and depth of feeling when you're talking about a comedy. When you're talking about something with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, you'll let so much go. You don't care about all those things, even mm-hmm. though it's just as important. Yeah. Um, because it, it, 
I don't know, does dumb and dumber work? <laughs> no, period. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and we might be the only two people that think that I, I'm not, I, it, I, it has a few funny lines in it, but right. overall it doesn't really work for me, but I, I don't need to necessarily connect to every film I see, but I think right. that horror in a lot of ways is un. It, I don't know. It's, it's the redheaded stepchild of all movies where it's just yeah. attacked constantly. So the idea that two movies can exist with somebody in a disability in a house um, and that person becomes empowered throughout the film, no big deal. Right. It'll be okay. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, also shares a, a main star with our, the movie we covered today. Um, the girl played Mia Jane Levy is also the main character in this. So we'll see how she does here. Also starring, uh, Dylan Minnette, um, who, uh, I guess is kind of the biggest name in this movie. Cause he was in goosebumps last year. That's, <laughs> that's our big name. Uh, but I was, I, you know, I heard about this movie when I was kind of planning the podcast and I was like, I don't know. That doesn't look, I'm not, I'm not really interested. Then I saw the trailer and I was like, you know, this looks genuinely scary. Like not, nice. there's, you know, there's always at least a handful of movies, maybe 10 or 15 horror movies that come out throughout the year that get these big releases and mm-hmm. a handful of them, like a small handful. I'll be like, Oh, that looks good. And this is one of those, you know, I think there's, especially with, um, with the horror movies that get the big kind of advertising bump, there's, they tend to be a little bit less inspired and they're things you've seen before or sequels. And this looks a little right. bit different. So I'm excited for it. I, there's, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's no, never a shortage of horror films coming out every year. No. Um, there, there's <laughs> people always complain about, you know, the current state of horror and all that. And there's these cycles that it goes through. And right now we happen to be in this sort of art house horror film seems to be the stuff that people yeah. are geared towards. Like Baba Duke and it follows and yeah. yeah. And the witch from earlier this year. Sure. I know one of your favorites. I wasn't even going to uh, mention it. Fuck you. Why would you bring that up? <laughs> Cause black Phillip, I think should be up for best actor this year. <laughs> that says more about the actors this year than I think it does about horror. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it, it looks good. I'm, I feel like there is a time in my kind of movie watching where I maybe didn't give horror enough credit. Like it was one of those like there's a few really good horror movies and the rest of them eh, I'm not really into. But as sure. I've watched more and kind of gotten more of the kind of the history of horror, like I think there are there are a lot more good horror films than people give it credit for. Like I think there's probably percentage wise just as many adventure comic book comedy films that fail spectacularly and we don't ever go well we should stop making comedies uh, actually but, uh, I, I say we should stop making comic book movies. i knew you would yes but they keep making money so that's not gonna fucking happen so but i think horror <laughs> for, for does now. horror does get a bad rap where it's like you see a bad horror movie and you're kind of like oh well horror is stupid and that's why and we don't say that about about comedies necessarily you know uh, you're on a side note. I heard somebody say earlier today, they think that comic book movies are going to be the bell bottoms of the, you know, two thousands period that we're in right now. It'll be the fact we'll that look back 40- at them in shame. Is that, yeah, they'll be, cause the, you know, you'll look back at a picture of yourself when you're 45 years old and you have a fucking Avengers t-shirt on <laughs> dressing like a goddamn child. And people are going to look back at that and be like, God, what was I doing? It's yeah. well, everybody was doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible. I keep thinking, that we're going to hit that point where it's like people are fatigued and they'll stop making money. And I keep thinking it's going to happen and it keeps not happening. And I'm like, well, who knows how long this will go on now? It's, 
it, I it's think the inter- new normal. Yeah, like we were talking about earlier, I really wish I could have seen Hush on a big screen. Like, yep. I mean, that was scary in my house. I can't imagine if I was in a dark theater with a gigantic now, screen. Like, oh, good God. Was that a Bloomhouse movie? Because that's, if that's the case, that's really, and I think that movie was made for like some obscenely cheap amount, like un, oh, yeah. like around $100,000 or something like that. Yeah, it is a Blumhouse Productions film. So. Now, so with that, they release all kinds of garbage and put it in the theater. God, it's and, why and, not and, that? And like it was stuff that you know that you've never heard of with people you've never heard of, and it does huge numbers. And right. what was it about Hush that they didn't trust? Yeah, I don't know. Like because I think it's probably one of the best things Blumhouse has put out. So we've covered, I think, all of Evil Dead that needs to be covered, and then some. So uh, why don't you tell? Sorry me- for going on too long. No, not at all, not at all. Uh, so one more time, why don't you tell people uh, where to reach you on Twitter for when you check it once a week? Oh sure, uh, follow <laughs> underscore films on Twitter. I, ch- I, ch- I check it a little bit more frequently than that. I just don't live on there. Yeah, it's probably a good call. All right. I, I like to ha- I like to hang out with my wife. Sorry, <laughs> an excellent call. All right, uh, so thanks for joining me one more time. Twice in one year, that's a new Amazing. record. So I apologize to anyone who listens to your show regularly. It probably won't be happening again. So you never know. If I end up doing some other shitty horror movie, I'm going to be like, call Chris. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, you had me on last time for Syriana, so yeah, it, and we did it follows before that. So you were due for one of these. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study. If you want to connect with the show, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You can find me on Twitter at PC Case Study. We're on Facebook and Tumblr and all those places, too. Or you can go to followingfilms.com and listen to other great movie podcasts like The Best and the Worst of the Best and War Machine vs. Warhorse. But if you really want to go the extra mile, go to patreon.com slash study, And there you can actually donate to the show on a per-episode basis. And for those donations, you can get rewards like getting mentioned on Twitter or getting mentioned on the show or even picking the movie that we cover here. So lots of ways to get rewarded and to support an independent podcast. Now, the next time you hear me, hopefully Mike and I will be doing a review of Don't Breathe, the next horror film from Fetty Alvarez. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Cool. So you ready to talk about tree rape? Yeah. 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 I mean, what are you not? Subjects tree rape. <laughs> uh, well, it's well. There's also it's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome where it's like we both went through this thing together. <laughs> right. And now have We're this bonded. Bond. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, no thanks. That was fun. Uh, a lot more fun than I thought it would be after I watched the movie. Oh. So okay. not because like. Oh, well, I thought it'd be because I was talking to you. Well, Jesus. Like, Jesus, dude. I mean, I know we joke around about me never coming on the show, but if you don't want me on here, no, I mean, no, it's no. your show. Don't I, meant, I meant in terms of the movie that was watched. It was... <laughs>